Good morning and welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast of Orchard Community Church. Today's message will be brought to us by guest preacher, Josh Matthews. Well, good morning everyone. It's great to be here. Orchard, I hope you're doing well. It is truly a privilege to be back and to see familiar faces, to see new faces, to see all of your faces. It's great. I always cherish the opportunities to come back and worship with you. I want to talk to you this morning about prayer. And if you're someone that would say you've got an amazing prayer life, that you've got an advanced, fulfilling life of prayer, that's amazing. I think this message is for you as we get back to the core of why we're praying and why it matters and how it can be simple. If you're someone that doesn't pray regularly. This message is for you. I want to encourage you and let you know that you don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be confused about prayer. And if you're someone that never prays, this time's for you as well, because we want you to know that there's a God that desires to hear from you, not out of requirement, not so that you avoid some sort of penalty, but simply because he loves you and desires for you to be in relationship with him. So we're going to talk about prayer this morning and about how we can strip it all back and keep it simple. Sound good? Can we begin with a word of prayer? Gracious God, we're here to meet you. We're here to hear your word and to have it proclaimed. Speak to our hearts this morning. And help us to understand even better how we can speak to you. Be with us by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Driving up here, uh, I live down in Fullerton, for those of you that don't know, which is in North Orange County, not the bougie Orange County. It's more regular Orange County. (laughs) So I live in Fullerton and and driving up here, uh, I've been driving for the last few days a a rental SUV. My truck, which is a 2007 Ford F-150 that I love dearly, is in the shop. So I've been driving this Mazda and it's 16 years newer than my truck and it's got different features and I'm not naive to those features, right? Like, hey, I've driven other cars. But one of the things that I've noticed that's been a big advancement between 2007 and now is with cruise control. The cruise control on my truck would work great. You set the speed, it'll go that speed. You want to slow down, you hit the slow down button. You want to speed up, you hit the speed up button. In this Mazda SUV that I'm driving, that's a 2023, the cruise control is more advanced, as some of you probably know. And you set the cruise control and it'll go that speed and it'll adjust on its own to the flow of traffic. Right? So if traffic is slowing down, it slows down for you. It lets you know if you're departing your lane. It lets you know sometimes rather abruptly if you need to hit the brakes. Right? So the cruise control is one of these things that's really come along and it's really advanced. And that got me thinking as I've been driving this for actually a couple of weeks about the various inventions, innovations that have come along in my lifetime that have made life easier. And one, probably more than any other that I take for granted, is text messaging. Right? It's ubiquitous today. Almost all of us in this room, regardless of age or socioeconomic status or whatever, have sent a text message, and probably most of us during this day, maybe during this hour that we're here, (laughs) will have sent or received 
a text message, right? We take it for granted. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the first text message was sent way back, way back in 1992. Yeah. December 3rd, 1992, the first text message was sent, and it said, Merry Christmas, and it was received on an Orbitel 901, and I've got a picture of this amazing mobile technology, right? That, that, that mobile phone, it's got a handle on it so you can carry it. It's a mobile phone. Look at that thing. Now, in the last few decades, of course, texting has come a long way. There's been developments and innovations, and a lot of us have probably been along for that ride. I'm sure many of us can remember clunkier phones and paying 25 cents or 10 cents per message, and then finally unlimited text messaging was included in our cell phone plans for free, right? <laughs> it's now free, this monthly plan that you're paying for, you get unlimited text messages. And then... In 2011, the Apple company changed the game completely, right, when they invented the Blue Bubble iMessage. And so some of you might be Blue Bubble people. Some of you, like my friend Kevin, might be Green Bubble people, meaning you don't have the iPhone. But either way, you may also be familiar with an invention in text messaging that I think maybe the worst text messaging invention that's ever come along, and that is the three dots in the bubble. Do you guys know the three dots in the bubble? Right, like what does it mean? It means that somebody is typing a message to you. Does that really help anything or does that complicate things? Does it make, when you see that in your, on your phone or on your iPad, does it make the message come quicker? No. Does it help you understand what they're going to say? No. Does it do anything other than make you impatient and increase anxiety? Yes. So the three dots in the bubble. And by the way, the official name for that is the typing awareness indicator. <laughs> but it doesn't really do anything more than give us a little bit of anxiety. Now, I bring all this up to say that, again, you go back to 1992, it was a text message that said, Merry Christmas. And along the way, sure, there's been some things that have made text messaging better, but it's also made it way more complicated, maybe even unnecessarily complicated. And you know what? I think we do that with a lot of things. In fact, I think we do that, if you think about it, with tons of things in our lives. It might be part of our DNA. It may be encoded into us to love taking simple things that work and adding all kinds of complications regardless of whether or not those added complications make things better, easier, or more efficient for us in the end. In fact, there's even a name for this. It's called complexity bias. I didn't make this up, I promise you. It's called complexity bias. And formally defined, complexity bias is our tendency to look at something that is easy to understand and view it as having many parts that are difficult to understand. Basically, it just means that when we need to complete a task, 
And we have the choice of whether to do that task in a straightforward and simple way or to add in all these complexities to it. We may choose the more complex path, again, even if it doesn't add to the result. Here's an example for you. And especially for those of you that know me, but for all of you, if you thought you weren't going to have to do math this morning because you're at church, <laughs> I've got news for you. Put your math hats on. All right, I've got a simple formula for, here, for you here, a simple pattern. And I want, I'm going to put three numbers up on the screen, and I want you to see if you can figure out what the pattern is. All right, so could there be a prime number? Could it be square root? Is Mr. Pythagoras involved? I've got three numbers. What's the next number? What is the pattern? Can you figure it out? For those of you who may not be able to see it very well, the numbers are 1, 67, and 217. You're welcome, Alita. Anybody figure it out? See some of you with like your, your phones with the calculator? All right, hit that square root button. How about I just give you the answer? The pattern is, remember we're talking about complexity bias, right? The pattern is the numbers simply just get bigger. So what's the next number? I don't know, whatever you want it to be that's bigger than 217. The number could be 218, it could be 1,040, it could be 3 billion and nine. They're just, they're just getting bigger, right? Now if you're like me, the first time I saw that, you immediately start thinking, well for me, I first start thinking like, man, I hate math, why are they making us do this? But you then start thinking about, okay, what are the kind of the patterns? Like, is it a puzzle? Am I going to put it together? You know, again, is it, is it a quadratic equation? I don't even know what that is anymore. Uh, you know, it's just a simple pattern, right? The only pattern is that each number got bigger than the last. But there's complexity bias at work. Now, no more math, I promise. Do you think it's possible, when we think about this idea of complexity bias, that we're using that in our life of faith as well? Could our relationship with God also at times fall victim on our part to complexity bias? I think it can, and I think it does. And one area of our life of faith where I think we do that a lot is with prayer. I think complexity bias plays in to our life of prayer, maybe even far more than we want to admit or realize. And so let's check out some super simple instructions from Scripture to strip away and break down what is prayer and how can we kind of get back to the core of it? If you have your Bible with you, I would invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 33. We're going to read the first part of Jeremiah 33.3. And if you don't know who Jeremiah was, that's okay. He was a pretty cool dude. I didn't know him personally because he lived a long time ago. He was a prophet of God. So God spoke to him. He spoke to the people according to the instructions that God gave him. Jeremiah was a prolific prophet. He had an incredible relationship with God. And God spoke to him one time 
about what it meant for the people to pray. And in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, he said this simply, and I just want to look at the very first part of it. Follow along. Call to me and I will answer you. That's it right there. Call to me and I will answer you. Is that it? Yes. Is it that simple? Uh-huh. Call to me and I will answer you. Prayer is literally just us calling out to God and him answering us. When we get to the core, that's what it is. It's essentially a conversation with our creator that we get to have. Because he's not just our creator, it's the creator of the universe. And he's saying to each one of us, I have all the time in the world for each one of you. Call to me and I'll answer you. But if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, wait, it's got to be somehow more complicated than that. In fact, ever since we realized that we could pray, ever since people like Jeremiah said, hey, this is what God says, call to me and I will answer you. Ever since we realized we could pray, I think people have been working overtime to make prayer more intricate and complicated than it needs to be. And then it becomes confusing, it becomes intimidating, it becomes, I don't know what it is. Jesus fought against it as well. Jeremiah was hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Jesus comes along and he's fighting against this complexity bias in prayer as well. You see, before Jesus could even tell the disciples and tell people how to pray, he had to strip away a lot of the things that they had been told or felt that they needed to do. He had to bring it back to the core for the people again. He had to uncomplicate it. So let's check out what Jesus said about prayer and what Jesus said about exactly how to pray. Again, if you have your Bibles, flip from Jeremiah over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to tackle verses 5 through, we'll call it 13. We're going to start with verses 5 through 8. So this is the words of Jesus. He says, hey, Sorry, the hay is added by me. <laughs> he said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, and that's always an indicator. Whenever you're reading the Bible and Jesus says truly, or in like the King James, it's verily, verily, that means, hey, listen up, something really good's coming. Sorry. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him, I want to pause right there. You can really get the sense that Jesus didn't like how complicated religious authorities and leaders had made prayer out to be for the people. 
by making prayer showy, by using big words and praying really long prayers, prayer had actually become less useful to the people. They had turned it into something that it was never meant to be in the first place. And so Jesus called the people who did that hypocrites. Remember, Jesus, pretty smart guy, didn't choose his words lightly. He called those people hypocrites. And it seems like Jesus was kind of annoyed that people had taken this simple thing of of prayer, right? This call to me and I will answer you. And they turned it into this circus of words. But now Jesus tears all that away, right? He breaks it down. He says, hey, forget all of that. It's you and God. Connect with God. And once he's torn it all away, he continues in Matthew chapter 6. And in verses 9 through 13, he gives us this classic prayer that Judy so wonderfully led us through just a little while ago. He took things back to being super simple. And he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that is the whole prayer. It's basically saying through this prayer, hey God, you are awesome. You rock. And I wish everyone knew that. He's saying, in fact, I wish that everyone worshiped you here on earth like I know they're worshiping you up in heaven. Please give us what we need each day and forgive us when we blow it. Help us to forgive others as well. And please help us to not do things that we know are wrong. That's it. He just kept it simple. And simple is my advice to you as we're talking about prayer. Just keep it simple. And honestly, if there's one thing that I hope that you will walk away from here with today, it's not a funny story about cruise control. It's rather this. Prayer is always less complicated than we try to make it. Prayer is always less complicated than we try to make it. Why? Why do we try to make prayer so complicated? Again, sure, you can try and blame complexity bias, right? It's not my fault. It's this disease I have called complexity bias. Sure, that, that's part of it. That's part of it. But I think it's mainly because this idea of prayer maybe makes us uncomfortable. Think of it this way. If prayer is difficult and complicated and confusing and needs a master's in divinity to truly make happen, we've got excuses not to pray. I can't pray. It's too hard, man. That dude went to seminary for five years. He can pray. 
But if we strip it all away, if we break it down, if we say, look, this is what Jesus said, just pray this way. This is what the God of the Old Testament said, call to me and I will answer you. Just call out to him. Suddenly, we don't have excuses anymore not to pray. Suddenly, it's opened up to us if we will step forward and take advantage of it. And look, I don't think there's any sense in us beating ourselves up over the fact that maybe we don't pray enough. This is not meant to be a guilt and judgment zone during my message this morning. We don't need to beat ourselves up that maybe we don't pray enough. So I want to give you three things to keep in mind to help you remember to not get prayer too complicated. Three things that will help us remember that prayer is always less complicated than we want to make it. Number one, be honest. Be honest. Like I've already said, prayer is calling out to God and God answering us. And the best idea that I can give you when you're calling out to God is to be honest with God. You want to know a secret? He already knows everything. (laughs) Right? Like, we believe that this is a universal, all-powerful God who knows everything. What good is it for us to try and hide things or to lie or to keep things from God? Be honest with God. Stuff in your life you're not super proud of, guess what? God already knows, and you're not alone. We all walk that path. Be honest with God about it. He knows you better than you know yourself. You're not going to catch him off guard. I promise you. You're not. So be honest. The second thing to keep in mind is this. Don't overdo it. Again, Judy gave us a great example this morning of a wonderful congregational prayer that didn't overdo it. She spoke her heart and connected us in as well with God. Don't say things just to say them. Don't feel like you have to use big words or churchy phrases. Don't overdo it when you're praying, man. C.S. Lewis in his book, Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, encapsulated this really well. He said, we say that we believe God to be omniscient, yet a great deal of prayer seems to consist of us giving him information. Don't overdo it. Jesus told us in Matthew, don't heap up empty phrases. That means be yourself. Remember, you're talking to the creator of the universe, but it's okay to be yourself. Have reverence? Yes. Reverently, be yourself. Don't overdo it. And lastly, but not leastly, is that a word? It is now. (laughs) All right, so be honest. Don't overdo it. Don't try to impress anybody. Again, certainly with God, it's not going to happen. You're not going to impress him. 
Remember, not only does God already know you, he already loves you. He accepts you. And when you ask, he will forgive you. You're not going to impress him. That means you don't have to feel like you need to impress God when you're praying, and you certainly don't need to impress other people. God's going to hear you. He's going to, right? Once again, let's jump back to Jeremiah. Call to me, and I will answer you. It's not call to me eloquently with words that you looked up in a thesaurus. Do those still exist? I think so. (laughs) Call to me really elaborately, and then I might, no, call to me and I will answer you. Don't try to impress anybody. Prayer is about you connecting with God. When that's the goal, trying to impress someone else just doesn't fit into the equation. Sorry, I said there was no more math. It doesn't fit. As we're winding down, I want to share with you something that an author named Anne Lamont said about prayer. She said, here are the two best prayers that I know. Help me, help me, help me. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Sometimes I wonder if those are the exact kind of prayers that God was talking about when he said, call to me and I will answer you. Prayer was designed to be simple so that a simple people could communicate and connect with an omniscient, powerful God that loves us dearly. Don't make it complicated. In your prayers, be honest. Don't overdo it. Don't try to impress God. Just speak from your heart as you. And know know that I am always praying for this community and this people. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. May each one of us in this room feel equipped and empowered to pray to you. Even if we don't know what for, help us to call to you and trust that you are answering us. In Jesus' name, amen.